Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. You know what we sometimes tease but don't explicitly mention that much? Our karaoke ability. Oh, God. I don't want to, like, draw attention to that. But thanks for drawing attention to that, by the way. <laughs> no, it's the fact that we have this Amazon.com link on our website. It's a special link that anybody who listens to this podcast or anybody else they know who doesn't listen can use. They just click on it, and it just takes them to Amazon.com. It's the same Amazon that you would see in any other way you went in, except a tiny little piece of all the stuff you buy goes to support this show. It goes to supporting the lights and the microphones and the cables and the hosting and all the other things that we have been spending money on to bring you this podcast for free. You mean like traveling to Timbuktu to do research? I, it's not like that. <laughs> but it also gives us a great opportunity to bring in our friend Toby Ball to read off some of the great items that our listeners have purchased this week by using our link to Amazon at crimewriterson.com. Professional blackhead and splinter remover tools easily cure pimples, whiteheads, comb dones, acne zit, ingrown hairs, and facial impurities. Surgical stainless. Fashy hot water bottle with floating fish. Wow. World of Water Sports. 15-2030 Wow Bouncer inflatable floating trampoline boarding platform. 10-foot diameter, one-to-two-person. Wens LTD Dental Cheek Retractor, C-Shape Intraoral Lip Retractor Mouth Opener for Adults and Kids, 15-pack. Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast that looks at other podcasts, pop culture, journalism, and true crime. This week, we're going to talk about a brand new podcast making big, big waves. It's called Ear Hustle, and spoiler alert, it's freaking awesome. We'll also get a little bit more on the Adnan Syed appeal, a maybe not surprising turn in the ongoing saga featured in S-Town.
Stone, and we will revisit our old friend, Florida Man, in the crime of the week. <laughs> so joining me right now is true crime author, host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, and my favorite Sally. Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, former defense investigator, licensed PI, true crime author, and arbiter of all things related to pets, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. And of course, we have the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and always delightful contrarian tamper downer of things I am propping up. Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. What's up, our dog? (laughs) Well, Toby, I just want to say, after last week, when you admitted on this show that you do not have a standard karaoke song, suggestions have been rolling in. So I'm just going to give you one right here. Uh, We heard from at Alfie Tobit on Twitter, who says, your standard karaoke song should be Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what your thoughts on that are, Toby. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not sure I could, I'm not sure I could pull that off. Well, we did have another suggestion. Uh, we okay. heard from at Murphy Carey on Twitter. And yep. um, after Kevin and my spontaneous Love Shack duet mm-hmm. after last week's credits, she suggested a Toby-Lara duet of Islands in the Stream. Oh, that'd be so good. Oh. I don't even know what that song is. <laughs> it's Isn't Kenny it Rogers Dolly and Dolly Parton, yeah. Oh, good yeah. God. I was, I was thinking of like the greatest love of all or something. No, how about Endless Love? Mm. Isn't that Lionel Richie and you know, it, Ross? Leather and Lace. Leather, Leather and Lace, yes, yeah, that'd be nice. that's a good one. That's a really good one. I, I realized that after we got off that like the only song that I think I've sung aloud in other people's hearing like more than twice is uh, with my daughter when she was younger. We would do Candy by Iggy Pop and <laughs> Kate, whoever it is, from the B-52s. Do you know that song? Yeah, of course. It. Candy, candy, candy. That one, yeah. right? Yes, yes, yes. So we used, to do that in the, we used to do that in the kitchen. So that's probably my go-to. So I'm guessing you were the Iggy Pop in that duet. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, all right, Kevin, uh, let's kick off the show. Can you please read this for me? Sure. True Crime Podcast Update. Laura and Toby and Kevin, you might all remember that last week we gave our completely didn't know anything and hadn't heard anything except for what we saw on Twitter and in news reports. Which is kind of how we do things always. (laughs) About the Adnan Syed Court of Special Appeals uh, hearing Mm -hmm. where basically the state and Adnan Syed's attorneys, of course he's the serial season one subject, went in and argued the merits of the overturning of the verdict which would grant Adnan Syed a new trial. Do you all remember that? Yeah, we were all here. We remember <laughs> yeah, that. vaguely. <laughs> uh, yep. So, Kevin, one of the things that came up last week was that you were letting us know, because you'd been reading Twitter, which is, of course, the best and most accurate way to get information. It's how, how we do things around here. Sometimes yeah. we have to, because we record an hour after something happens, that um, people were saying, including reporters in the courtroom and Adnan's attorney, how surprised they were, how well-versed the justices were, not only in Judge Welch's ruling to overturn Adnan's conviction, but also in the facts of the case. Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we actually had this same discussion a couple of weeks before, which is, hey, the rest of the world that listens to Serial and Undisclosed and all the other podcasts know every detail of this case, unlike other crimes. And what if the judges aren't as well-versed? How are they going to be able to come to any sort of informed decision? And, you know, by all accounts from the people who are in the courtroom – 
the judges really demonstrated an in-depth knowledge of a lot of the minutiae of the case. As you know, one of my side hustle gigs is I work on Undisclosed. I do their audio production. Right. And this week, they have a special episode dropping. This is not promotional, by the way. This is straight up like something interesting I want our listeners to hear. Sounds like plagiarism, if you ask I me. Get, there's no payola for me in talking about Undisclosed on this podcast. I swear to God. Um, but one of the things that happened when I was editing, they did a special episode this week that dropped on a Wednesday that if any of our listeners are interested in the Adnan Syed case... They must download it because they obtained all the audio from those oral arguments. I just want you to hear a tiny piece of tape here, and then we're going to react to it. This is the Chief Justice of the Court of Special Appeals. His name is Patrick Woodward. Through Vignaraja, he is that volunteer prosecutor now. He's the one who um, fought uh, Nan Syed's team in the post-conviction relief hearing. And basically, part of, as you know, this case is about whether or not the Asia McLean alibi, whether or not maybe it was, quote, strategic that Christina Gutierrez did not contact her. And part of the state's case is that that's not proof of ineffective assistance of counsel, because clearly, if you had an alibi witness, you would try to contact them. It's a trial decision still. And Thiru Vignaraj's argument is it was probably strategic. Yeah. I just want you to hear what this chief justice said to this prosecutor. But how, but how do you know if it's inconsistent if you don't talk to the person? You had you had her first letter span this wide range of time. It also it may have had things about helping him, but that letter also had, had things that I, I, if I can help you, if you're innocent, she was, you know, caveating that. I'm not going to help you if you're guilty. So how can you possibly evaluate an alibi witness if you don't even talk to them? All right, Laura. So we hear about stuff like this all the time, right? Cases going to appeal courts where they're just looking at the merits of the ruling of the previous judge, or they're just mm-hmm. looking at sort of like the legal stuff. When you hear a piece of tape like that and a chief justice of a court of special appeals who's clearly read the actual letters that are up for debate in the legal argument... Don't you feel like these judges are a little more prepared than we've heard in cases like this before? Well, yeah, because we had talked about this and it's and it's, you know, where we know all the details and all the people that are following Adnan's case know all the details. Some of those really aren't like at the heart of what the legal appeal issue is. So to hear the judge actually going into that much detail. I think that's good. I mean, I think that this is a good thing for the justice system when you can listen and you have some confidence in the fact that the people deciding the case have actually taken time to really look into everything about the case that's before them with whatever has been filed. What was interesting to me about editing this episode was a lot of it was about a waiver, which is that, like, does he even have a right to bring these claims? And that was a big part of what was up for debate. And that took up a lot of this hearing. The prosecution mostly focused on that. Largely, the cell phone stuff was not even really talked about. Adnan's attorney, every time he'd be asked a question about something else, he's like, well, that was even more of a reason to call this alibi witness. That was even more. He was very much focused on the ineffective assistance stuff. And I'll just tell our listeners, I don't want to overstate it, but if you're interested in this case and you're interested in what the justice system is looking at, which I think is extraordinary in terms of what appeals court to look at. Listen to this week's episode, the special Adnan Syed appeal episode of Undisclosed. 
I produced it, so I'm telling you, I heard it. Like, it won't disappoint if you're interested in this case. Hey guys, it's Rebecca. I'm just going to interrupt the show for one second here to mention one thing. We're about to launch into a discussion about Tyler Goodson's legal peril and how S-Town, the podcast, is being brought into court in his case. We recorded this episode the day before new news broke about Tyler Goodson's arrest for animal cruelty and the subsequent revocation of his bail. We didn't know that when we taped this. I just wanted to let you know that. Thanks. So let's move on to another one of these, Kevin. Can you please read this? True Crime Podcast Update. Wow, that was like uh, FM Whoa. radio. Like I'm doing monster <laughs> truck stuff now. I'm trying to mix it up. That was very like a morning zoo of you. Ooga. Ooga. <laughs> it's the zoo. All 107.5 right. FM. Well, as we heard from many of our listeners this week from some local papers in Alabama, a motion to continue in the criminal trial of Tyler Goodson has been filed. He is one of the central figures in the podcast S-Town, which we talked about over four episodes of this podcast. Laura, can you fill us in on what is going on with that legal case against this guy, Tyler Goodson? Yeah, this is fascinating because this is largely tied to details that were in S-Town and things that Tyler said. So, you know, everybody I'm sure remembers Tyler was the young man that was a friend of John B. McLemore. He was the one that was with him a lot at the end and that John had, you know, kind of said in the podcast when he was talking to Brian Reed, he wanted to leave some of his belongings to. There's a theft case because, as you recall, uh, Tyler went back onto the property, took some of the old box trucks and things, and that was actually in the podcast. So the prosecutor in the case has filed a motion to continue until the fall because of new issues and new allegations that have come to light after he listened to the S-Town podcast. Hmm. And so specifically, new information in the podcast is resulting in more charges being filed. The charges center on Tyler stealing property from McLemore's land after he died in 2015. And even though we had heard John say he wanted to leave Tyler at something, that wasn't actually spelled out anywhere. Tyler went back to the property numerous times and took many items that he claimed were his. The two school buses, the 18-wheeler trailer, tools, equipment, lumber. And so while the prosecutor acknowledged he knew they were friends, he said the items were not Tyler's to take. Mm. So Tyler is now, you know, he initially he was charged with uh, five counts of first degree theft, two counts of first degree forgery and a few other charges. Uh, since the S-Town podcast came out, grand jury convened again in April and brought more charges, including 13 new charges for criminal trespass, two counts of burglary and two charges of forgery. Hmm. And this is going to be interesting because pretty much the evidence that they're relying on is Tyler in the podcast admitting to trespassing and going back to the property. And we had talked about that, like, what do you do? The prosecutor saying he intends to introduce parts of the podcast, but whether or not Brian Reed is going to be called as a witness, that remains to be seen. You know, they're saying, well, it would be hard to get him down here. Which was weird, right? Because isn't also about the fact a journalist can't be compelled to turn over their notes or their raw tape. He can't. I think the only reason maybe that they would be able to, first of all, they'd have to do like an out-of-state subpoena process because he was in New York, right? Right. Yeah. So they would have to go through that whole process to get him down there. But I'm wondering if they would try to use him to authenticate the tapes. I don't even know if they would need him to do that legally. That's really something a lawyer would have to decide. So, yeah, this is um, really interesting. Like two worlds collide. Toby, you remember that part of the podcast, right, where we heard those phone calls between Brian Reed 
and Tyler Goodson. And, and Tyler was basically admitting to Brian Reed that he was trespassing on tape. And we sure. sort of had known at that point as listeners this was going to be an issue with the cousins and so forth. Like, do you remember cringing when you heard him talking about what he'd actually done and then Brian Reed, like, going to visit the house that he had built out of all of those admittedly stolen materials? Right. And I think it, it gets to something that we talked about and certainly other people were concerned about, which is that it was a somewhat exploitive relationship and that it was pretty clear that Tyler wasn't sophisticated enough to understand the consequences of some of the stuff that he was saying. I mean, sophisticated about that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it seems, you know, if I was Brian, I would be feeling badly because he seems to have liked Tyler, mm-hmm. that he's kind of gotten him into this pickle. But a lot of those guys, the guy they uh, interviewed at the beginning, who was a guy who allegedly killed somebody, it seemed like the general attitude was like, you know, who gives a shit? Well, was there, you know, they used to I'll say, just say just whatever. Like, fuck it. What was the expression they had? Right. Yeah. <laughs> just talking or whatever. No, this this actually brings up an interesting point. But I mean, Tyler, near the end of the podcast, knew not to say a certain thing on tape. Like we heard him say, like, I don't want to tell you this on tape. Yeah, he was even sort of prompted. Brian saying, I don't I don't know if it's your best interest to well, talk to me. Well, that's yeah. what I want to ask you, Kevin. Like, you've had sources before as mm-hmm. a reporter, right? Clearly, when someone knows they're on the record, and you've told them they're on the record, mm-hmm. but as a reporter, you might understand that they might not understand the consequences of them being on the record at that point. I know it's not technically your responsibility to inform them, but, like, personally, have you ever been in a position where you felt, like, responsible for telling someone, hey, you may not want to go there right now because, like, if this ends up in the story, like, you're going to be in trouble. No, I've, ne- I've never felt like it was my duty to inform somebody about the legal peril they may get in for saying something or not saying something. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. I'm not their attorney. And I'm not trying to entrap them. I'm just asking them questions. So, But you were also a news reporter, not yeah. a long-form podcast yeah, producer. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't change my, my opinion on that. What do you think, Toby? So, well, I just... I don't I don't think it was necessary to have that in like I don't it didn't really enrich the podcast very much to have that part in there. Like if if you didn't know that he went and like started taking stuff from John's property, I don't think it would have hurt the show overall. So to a certain extent, it seems almost gratuitous to put that in there, knowing that you're putting him in jeopardy. So in my mind, you know, if it was a critical piece Like maybe you would do that or maybe if you thought that Tyler was some kind of menace to society, maybe put it in there. But if you're trying to deal in a sort of straightforward way with somebody who you've apparently come to like and you're you're sort of portraying sympathetically why you would put that in especially knowing that he's probably not really cognizant of what he's getting himself into. I think what you're alluding to is that there's no way Tyler Goodson could have known that like 40 million people would listen to this, right? Right, but it's also, and again, I I think it just, it kind of depends on what kind of journalism you're doing and what your standards are. But I think in a situation like that, where you're not like actually going after Tyler, but you are kind of giving him the opportunity to hang himself, that does bring up like a pretty gray area in that what was the journalistic reason really for doing all this? I, I guess it comes down to Toby, know. why ask, as the journalist, why ask the question? 
Are you not asking the question because you want an answer? And does yeah. your story not deserve the answer to that question? I remember if you Tyler can get sort of it? serving up those answers without being asked. Yeah. Is the way yeah. I remember. See, I, I think Tyler is more savvy than you're, you're giving him credit for because he'd been arrested before. He'd been through the court system before. He had to have realized that he would be saying something that could get him in trouble. I think he just thought he wasn't going to get in trouble. And I think, honestly, for the story, I liked having this information in the story, even though I cringed when it was in there, because it was more of this sort of aftermath and fallout of the people that John left behind and what they were all doing amongst each other in this sort of dysfunctional race for the gold and the property and the mother and all that. I thought, to me, I I felt like it did add to the story. There's also a hell of a lot of stuff in the podcast about John McLemore's intentions with all of that property. Yeah. If you were Tyler Goodson, I don't know what his resources are. I don't know who's defending him. But don't you also feel like the podcast could really help him? Like, in the same way that it could hurt him, it could also help him. Because there's a lot about what John McLemore wanted, and I think that his... Because basically everything he said to Brian Reed was that, like, I'm taking what's mine and what I've been told is mine. And then we have John McLemore mm-hmm. saying that it belongs to him in the podcast. Yes. Don't you think that matters? I do. And it's so, but he went about it in the wrong way. And there was actually a quote from the prosecutor in the case that really went to the heart of that. The quote was, if he had the intentions of doing the right way, he could have sued in court and claimed all those things were his, but he didn't. You know, he kind of put the cart before the horse here. But again, he may not have had the means to take it to court. But I think now after the fact, he's kind of digging himself out of a hole, whereas if he had waited, brought these tapes from S-Town, where John is clearly articulating what he wants to happen and what he wants for Tyler, I think that would have been a better way to go about it. Remember, just if we go back to episode one of S-Town and why Brian was in Alabama for the in the first place was to essentially track down this one guy who supposedly killed somebody and got away with it. If Brian came face to face with him, should he have not asked that question? Even though knowing if the, the guy question, an- did, did you kill somebody? Did you kill somebody? And if the guy he answers did, yes, did right, but if he if the guy answered yes, does Brian go, "Oh my god, I can't believe I did that. That was horrible." I mean, that was the whole point of of being a journalist and, and, and asking the question. And I think Laura, you probably brought this up about how authenticating the tape, they probably do need Brian because if Tyler yeah. doesn't testify and verify mm-hmm. says that's me on the tape, according to the rules of evidence, you can't You also need the raw tape. No, you don't need the raw tape. No. Well, what's Brian no. but, but what, how do the they know tape. they didn't edit together what he said in the podcast to well, make then it you, sound then more you, couple then than you was. need to impeach Brian. Right. And they'll they'll just say no. They'll they'll like first amendment it and say no, I'm not gonna well, do that. They, Brian can't fail to show up if he's subpoenaed. He can sit on the stand and say I'm not gonna answer that question. Right. But he mm-hmm. can't say I'm not coming down to Alabama. Can you really use an interview with like an obvious bullshitter? like John, as some kind of legal claim to stuff. That seems to me incredible. Well, we're saying he's the obvious bullshitter. That is our subjective opinion about him. But he said on the podcast, like, this kid is like my son, and I want to give him all my it's stuff. It's up to the jury to but determine they, the credibility of all decide witnesses. That. Yeah. Yeah. But then they also, he also, like, said that to another guy who now lives in New York, and right. he probably would have yeah. said to somebody afterwards. Well, the whole afterwards. thing is now going to be part of the record, apparently, right? Which is yeah. fascinating. Is this a cautionary tale to podcasters? This is the thing. The This American Life team that produced S-Town, like... They're not amateurs with dealing with lawyers and dealing with courts. They've done tons of stories that are 
in my opinion, way more incendiary than this one has been. We're talking about a theft case, basically. We're not talking about a murder trial or mm-hmm. a wrongful conviction. We're talking about espionage. Somebody, yeah, I yeah. mean, and they've done stories that go way farther than this. Should this be a cautionary tale for the non This American Life League? amateur getting into shit podcasters that we sometimes talk about on this show like should they not look at this and realize like i may be responsible for something that happens in a court proceeding someday what do you think toby if you're going to start a podcast about like a true crime or something and you haven't considered that before you like buy your microphone there's little hope for you in my opinion like that's got to be that's that's got to be like one of the first things so kevin do you think tyler has the gold yes or no well, I hope he does, because <laughs> he's going to need that gold, right? He's got, what, four four kids? Oh, he's got a lot of kids. He's got a lot of kids, and he's going to need that gold because it's so expensive to buy healthy, organic groceries. Oh, God. But his Why problems could right be now? solved by Thrive Market. Oh, yeah, brand new sponsor, Thrive Market. Ooh. Yeah, no, look, we all want to eat better. Wait, wait, wait. Laura, get your pen ready. You're going to want to write this I, down. I have it right now. I'm writing it down. <laughs> We all want to eat better and provide our families the best foods, and that might mean organic or GMO-free. And there's not a great variety of that at your local grocery store. And the vast majority of us don't live near one of those giant industrial natural food markets. We do not. You know the ones I'm talking about. And even if you do, the prices are really expensive in both places. So we need a way to get everything we want. Convenient access to quality foods at a reasonable price. And so we can finally get that thanks to Thrive Market. The Thrive new, Market. The new online store where they'll deliver high quality foods, cleaners, and other grocery products to your door that are between 25 and 50% lower than the big retail guys. That's amazing. So you mean Ooh. like the giant thing of like the, the chunky salt you want to put in your salt grinder, that to like organic ingredients to like delicious, like healthy snacks, the kind of stuff you can only buy in those very expensive grocery stores. Oh, hang on to your seat. All right, I'm hanging on, literally. I'll tell oh. you more. In fact, Laura I, I, is so excited. Yeah. I am. I'm like, ooh, coconut flour, almond flour, all those healthy things. Yes, yes. 100% yes. Oh, goody. Yeah, now this is great. Now, how does this all happen? How are they able to do this with the pricing and get it everywhere to everybody? I wanted to know. So I went right to the source. You wanted to, like, you did an investigation of I your did own? my own investigation. And I called the co-CEO of Thrive Market, Gennar Lovelace. up. You did? Yeah, <laughs> I did. And I asked him how. One of the ways that we evaluate our success at Thrive Market is can we sell organic and healthy alternatives at the same price as conventional equivalents? And the answer is often yes. We sell a kind bar with five grams of sugar for less than a candy bar. We sell 70 loads of non-toxic laundry detergent for less than a normal laundry detergent that has hormone and endocrine disruptors. And so for the first time in history, somebody can go online on Thrive Market, they can buy organic and non-toxic groceries, those prices will be equal to or less than the conventional equivalents, and those products will be shipped conveniently to people's homes nationally for free. So is what I'm hearing, Kevin, is you can shop based on your like personal values? You can. Right now, you can do general shopping right, and get whatever you like, but with one click, you can see items that are just all gluten-free or paleo or some other categories. You can drill down to like subcategories. Organic. With, not just organic, but like allergy-free or fair trade or all those things that are important to you when you go shopping. And look, these guys at Thrive, they check the background of each 
product. So if a brand says they're organic or responsibly grown, it's the real deal. There's no greenwashing there. So now I did some online shopping. And by the way, it's extremely easy to use their website. And I got as many different things as I could. You got some chips. I got I got potato chips. I got spaghetti sauce, energy bars, spices, even dog treats. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Now, these were the same exact items that I could get at that big warehouse place, right? We know what you're talking about. Yeah. But the Thrive Market website, it tallied the difference between their own checkout price and that regular retail price right, at, right in the cart. And I saved almost as much money as I spent. Bought stuff you would have bought anyway. Exactly. Right. The same exact things. And how do they do it? The old-fashioned way. They cut out the middleman. That's really how they do it. They cut out the middleman. They go and get all Wait, the Wait, do they use that voice when they're doing cutting out the middleman? They don't. They don't. I, I, threw, that, I threw that in. Man, that's right. That's right. We cut out the middleman. That's why it's so good. That's why it's good. Hey, well, just one last thing about Thrive Market. Gennar and his team, they also walk the walk when it comes to social responsibility. If you get a membership to Thrive, they will give a membership to a family in need, a veteran, a student. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's giving them access to healthier foods at a better price. And they're involved in many local partnerships that promote healthy living across the country. So Gennar is giving us a great offer. For our listeners. For our listeners. Exclusively. I said, hey, man, can you sweeten this up? And (laughs) he was like, I don't know. Because our listeners, we know this. They're healthy. Because when we make fun of healthy people on the show, we hear about it from our listeners. We do. We do. <laughs> Look, and they care about their families. They care about what yeah. their kids so eat. So what's the offer? All right. Okay. So if you go to thrivemarket.com slash crimewriters, you're going to get a free 30-day trial, and you'll get 25% off your first purchase and free shipping. Now, that's 25% on top of the 25 to 50% savings you get every day. I hear Laura writing this down right she's, now. I hear the pencil. Yes, can I you, do. Can you hear me? Absolutely. You can hear my pencil? Yeah, Absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah, she's now, excited. Now, whether you're into natural foods or you just want to shop responsibly or you're just looking for a convenient, affordable way to do your or grocery shopping. you just want to see how much you're saving because that's a game and that's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go to thrivemarket.com slash crime writers. That's thrivemarket.com slash crime crime writers. Writers. C-R-I-M-E-W-R-I-T-E-R-S. Thrivemarket.com slash crime writers. Oh, I see Toby's telling me right now. (laughs) You're going to go clickety-click. Well, I want to get, like get started now talking about our feature content of this podcast. We're going to talk about Ear Hustle. Ear Hustle is a podcast produced entirely inside San Quentin Prison. We basically have the real stories of inmates there, not talking necessarily about the criminal justice system or how they ended up there, but just talking about life inside the prison. And as if you listen to our podcast last week, as, as I said, Ear Hustle had maybe one of the best podcast trailers of any podcast I ever heard because A, told you what it was going to be, and B, really introduce you to the people that were actually delivering that thing. And it just sounded like it was going to be, dare I say, fun and kind of great. So unprecedented. We actually got a preview episode of Ear Hustle delivered to us because the folks there knew we were going to talk about it. The first episode, by the way, has dropped at this point. So we all got to listen to it a little bit early. And I know that we usually do our like review section at the end. But I just want to just do a quick round the horn thing. I loved it. Toby, did you like this podcast? Uh, yeah, I did. Laura, how about you? I am all over this podcast. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? Eh, 
Yeah, oh. No, I'm just kidding. I liked it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> All right. So one of the things that really surprised me, I just wanted to address it right up front, is that we learn in the podcast and in the trailer that the whole thing is produced. Sound design, production, recording, music inside of San Quentin Prison. Mm-hmm. Kevin, from a sound design delivery standpoint, like production quality, microphone quality, you are an AV nerd. You care about how things sound. Does ear hustle sound better than you thought it would? Absolutely. I mean, the I guess they're producing it in the media lab, and they've got quality gear. And and again, I don't know how much of like the actual work product they can take outside and sweeten it and bring it back or whatever, but whatever they're doing on the inside is great. Some of that uh, stuff in the yard. Yard talk. Yard talk. <laughs> sounds good. I mean, I think that could have been mixed slightly better, Just, but I mean, that that's like a super picky criticism. I, th- I thought it was really great, and I love the hosts. They have such great chemistry and personality. Well, I do want to talk about Erlon Woods. He's the host. Um, he is an inmate. And he's been incarcerated for a very long time for what, by the way, does not sound like a very serious crime. But that's a no kidding. separate issue. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. So we are initially introducing these two hosts. Erlon Woods is the inmate. And then Nigel Poor is a visual artist who lives near San Quentin Prison. And she's like somebody who works with inmates on these kinds of projects. She's also not a radio person. But uh, Laura Bricker, on a scale of one to ten, how much does Nigel Poor sound like Sarah Koenig to you? You know, I hadn't thought of that until you said that, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go for eight because not totally, but it's got the same kind of voice, similar to when, what was the spinoff, Limetown, when the person was trying to sound yeah. like her, but yeah. I think Nigel actually does sound like her, but not totally, but that same kind of calm, easy manner of talking, yes. Her actual voice sounds like Sarah Koenig's voice, which is extraordinary. Yeah. Now, Laura, just, just to follow up on that, this whole concept, the idea of inmates talking about the same kinds of stories that people who aren't in prison would talk about, but through the lens of being an inmate... Do you think this is a great idea for a podcast or an awesome idea for a podcast? <laughs> I'm not going to give you any other option. You're not going to you're not going to suggest. I think it's awesome because you know, I think that a lot of times people immediately jump to conclusions about, you know, what life is like in jail or what people are like that are in jail and why they're there. And I think this is one of the things that I used to say a lot when I was still working as a defense investigator. There's a human side to these people that gets left out when they're going through the court system a lot of times. And I think we're hearing that in this podcast. We're hearing, yeah, you know, this guy's in here on a horrible charge, but he's got the same concerns about living with somebody as somebody else has, you know, at college or outside in an apartment or a rooming house. So I I like it. I like the fact that we are humanizing people that I think often, you know, we forget to do that because we're more focused on what they did and who they did it to. Or the rights and wrongs of the criminal justice system, which has now been a huge theme in the podcast that we especially have talked about. So, Toby, to you, do you think this is what was a good idea or an awesome idea? (laughs) It's really good for a bunch of different reasons, one of which is I think it's, at least for me, like these living situations or like mini societies, which I, you know, hopefully will never have access to, I think are just interesting. And then on top of that, I think prison there's just there's so many things about prison that are kind of interesting and also at least for me I think kind of kind of scary um like the showers it, well I wasn't necessarily thinking about like being sexually molested but I think the idea of being locked up 
basically not having freedom mm-hmm. for, especially for this guy with like, what, second degree robbery or burglary well, or that, something? That actually, and it's 31 years. One of the things that stuck out to me was right in the intro to the show, it's built into the intro, Nigel Poor introduced her co-host, Erlon, and she says, that's Erlon Woods. He's in prison for second degree robbery. And then she says his sentence. I actually have really conflicted feelings about this reflex that I think we have, both as journalists and as anybody who's talking about, you know, an inmate population, to feel the need to say what it is that they did or what they're accused of doing, what they're convicted for doing. Mm. I, I talked to a reporter in our newsroom yesterday who's been doing some really extensive reporting on jails and the criminal justice system and prisons because I literally heard her have like debates with our news director about this exact issue. And I also talked to our news director about that rub where you feel like people are going to have that question. If you do a story about an inmate in a um, furniture making program, it has nothing to do with their crime. It has to do with the fact that they're in prison and what they're doing. Does their crime matter? And that that being built into the intro, it made me a little bit uncomfortable in a weird way. But at the same time, I also thought... Would we be on board with this if we knew he was a murderer or like a child rapist? Well, I think it matters but, if that furniture maker is the subject of a book by Kevin Flynn and Rebecca Lavoie called <laughs> Our Little Secret, which is available through That's Amazon. True. Different, well, oh, different story. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Different I, question. But okay, right. Toby, I, I'd love to know your thoughts about that because did you feel, did you have that same thought, like kind of go through your head when you heard that? You know, the thought that went through my head was when I heard what he did and how long he was in there for, and I was like, we put too many people behind bars for way too fucking long for what they've actually done. Right. There's no way 31 years to life. For an attempted robbery. For an attempted robbery. I mean, that's insane. You know, quite honestly. Like, I assume there must have been some kind of three strikes thing going on that exacerbated it. But still, I mean, that's kind of like, it's hard for me to morally justify something like that. And And I think a European would take a look at it and be like... What, what What is going on in your country that this can happen? It's like something out of Les Mis. You know, I have to say, I, I was glad that they included the charges and, and that they say what people are in for. Because I think, you know, like I was saying before, I think when you hear a certain charge that somebody has been convicted of, you, you jump to an assumption about what that person is like. And that's not necessarily the case. And I had lots of clients who were in jail on horrible charges and... Some of them and the worst charges were the nicest people. But, you know, people can't get past the hang up of what they're charged with mm-hmm. to see beyond that. And so I think putting this right up front, what these people are in for kind of gives you an opportunity to listen to them talk once you know that and maybe change your idea of what they're really like and you know maybe see that this isn't so black and white when somebody's in jail there's a lot more gray that goes into things it gives us as listeners permission to be interested in them as characters and not be preoccupied with what got them in jail with wondering that yeah let's talk about the cold open one of the things i loved about the format of the show it was very this american life in this way Kevin, can you describe what a cold open is briefly? It's basically, it's a prologue. It's a setup. It's a foreword. <laughs> it's a foreword. Yeah. And in this podcast, the first episode of Ear Hustle, the prologue is a guy being admitted into prison. And the setup is that, like, basically the first time you're admitted in, like, this is when you get your inmate number. This is when they find out everything about you. And this is also when you are assigned your roommate. 
And this guy just tells the story about how he happened to be being admitted at the same time as this person who was like the scariest person he'd ever encountered his entire life. And like, we hear a little bit background. This guy's name is Ron. He's the one telling the story. He's an ex-Marine. They don't say his crime, but then they just sort of describe what he's facing going into prison. So what did you think about like just sort of this entree into ear hustle just you know, as a podcast. Yeah, I thought it was good. And I thought it basically set the stage that they have a format. This isn't just going to be like audio letters from prison, or as I originally thought, I was calling it story core from jail. It's not that. It's not that. It, yeah, it isn't uh, like the confessional on the real world where people go in and just start talking about stuff. Right. It's got very good sound design, as you already mentioned. And I think that they have uh, some other stuff. Although I have to say that while the stories are interesting because they do humanize the inmates, you still don't get away from the fact that being in jail is bad, that it sucks. It sucks that you don't have any Internet access, which means that you could never be able to enjoy MHZ Choice oh God. for all those European mysteries, dramas, and comedies because you can't get that stream to your favorite computer TV or favorite device I didn't in hear prison. anyone in the podcast talking about the need to watch European mysteries. I'm just saying. It didn't come up in uh, your hustle. It's because they have been on the inside so long. <laughs> they do not know what is going on. And maybe if they watch some of these super cool European crimes that they would know how not to do it because they've got some good stuff here like the fat and the angry spiral oh god i'm the fat swedish and the angry. crimes you're the fat. <laughs> <laughs> remember these are all shows that are presented in their original language with english subtitles and this is the one i'm so excited about this one that i started watching corp agus anum why are you excited about that it's in Gaelic. Oh, God. It's in Gaelic with English <laughs> subtitles. It's Celtic noir. It's about a, a really gritty Irish television reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all in Gaelic. Some people call it Better Call Saul meets Spotlight. Meets baked potatoes and boiled Oh, now meats. stop it. Corp Agus <laughs> Anum. Or as they, they'd say in Ulster, Corp Agus Anum. Okay. Uh, they also have some great TV adaptations of some of the world's best crime fiction writers. And new content is added each week. So you'll get all of that plus the entire MHZ Choice Library, which includes over 2,500 hours of binge-worthy TV for only $7.99 a month. Try MHZ Choice free for 30 days, and after that, you'll save 50% off your first month. Visit mhzchoice.com slash writers and use code word writers at checkout. That's mhzchoice.com slash writers. Writers. What else, Kevin? Well, I want to let you know about a new sponsor we have for the podcast. You? Yes, they're called Thumbtack. Oh, Thumbtack. Yeah, you get them online, get their app. Thumbtack is Does the it hurt? easy... Does hmm? When it pricks you, does it hurt? I have no answer to that. All right. Phrasing. Uh, <laughs> So at Thumbtack, you can go on and look for those handy men and women that you need for all those jobs that you just don't know where to find a great local professional. Things like, and I know this because I went and went click, 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 cleaning ladies. Oh, and sh- right away. Our cleaning lady might be listening. And, she might not know Bangor. And Bangor, yeah. <laughs> she might not know that we're looking for a new one. So well, I just, I just tried it out and I was able to get right away people responding and saying, here are... My, my qualifications. Here are the deficiencies with our current cleaning lady. Yeah. yeah. And I also just hired through Thumbtack someone to cut the grass for me. Oh, thank God. Your tractor's broken. It's the solenoid. I'm oh. waiting for a new solenoid to come in. 
Within 24 hours, you'll have up to five estimates from local pros that match your criteria. And it's everything from plumbing to wedding DJs. Nice. To photographers, just about any side gig that you're looking for help for. You know, don't like go on the social media and say, hey, who knows? Go to Thumbtack because you get great reviews on carpet cleaners, professional trainers, even piano teachers. Over a thousand different categories in all. Seriously, no matter the project, you'll find the help you need at Thumbtack. Thumbtack makes it easy to find pros for pretty much anything you need done. Download the app or try it now at Thumbtack.com. That's Thumbtack.com. I want to get back to Ear Hustle like immediately because the meat of the first episode of Ear Hustle, for anyone who hasn't listened to it so far, they need to know it is a human interest story about two brothers trying to live together <laughs> in prison. So, da, 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 da. so basically what we hear is the, the moral of the first episode of Ear Hustle is like how hard it is to find somebody that you can live with in a what, a four by nine or whatever the ridiculous oh, super- tiny size. Smaller than Square Egg Studio. No, it's about the size of Square Egg Studio. It's actually a little bit bigger than Square Egg Studio, yes. which we'll get to later. But just how difficult it is to live with people and, and that sort of courtship. And we hear the story of these two brothers who are both incarcerated, which again, Toby, right, is like a whole other story. Right. That isn't kind of addressed, but it's kind of in the background. Um, Eddie and Emil. The story starts well, where they're just sort of like, yay, uh, we get to put in a request. We have to live together. We're brothers. And then it goes horribly wrong on like 17 different levels. Toby, what did you think of this whole narrative and the way they cut it between Eddie and Emil telling their sides of the story and how effective it was to like convey what they were trying to convey in Ear Hustle episode one? Yeah, I mean, it was it was good. And I think and I just say everything's interesting. So this is interesting, too. To have that kind of story where you have two brothers, you know, who grew up together and all this stuff and still the sort of pressure of being in that confined a place with another person, like they realized that (laughs) they didn't know each other well enough, despite being brothers, to understand whether or not they could live together in a cell. Right. Which I, I think just, you know, goes to show a few different things. But the biggest one, I think, is just the sheer psychological and I guess probably physical as well pressure of living at such close, cramped quarters with somebody. And for the most part, it'll be somebody who you don't know, mm-hmm. at least at first, although it, it does sound like you can, you know, if you find somebody you think you're compatible with, you can, you can make that work. You can court them. <laughs> right. But it is, you know, like for that guy from the beginning, that the Native American guy to be stuck in with this guy who clearly has got something going on, like he's mentally ill or you just mean who said, the guy who said he wanted to kill him. Duck. Who right. Said he wanted to kill him. <laughs> right. So, you know, you're stuck in a four by nine with that dude. It's very anxiety producing. Right. For me listening. Basically. La- Laura, how did you feel about this Eddie and Emil narrative? What, what did you take away from it? I I enjoyed kind of the fact that they were so different. And I was wondering, like, how is the one brother, what was he, like, Seventh-day Adventist or something? Yes. And I was like, so why aren't they the same religion? I was kind of, I was finding myself more curious about their background before prison in terms of were they raised separately? Did they say that? I, I didn't. And I especially loved the young and the restless, the guy who had, you know, the one that had to put his headphones on on the side of the bed so he could 
watch that. It, it was it was kind of it made me a little bit sad because you think in the, in the prison where it can be a scary place and you can get put with the wrong person and you know you're not going to be sleeping because you're afraid you're going to get assaulted all the time. You would hope that brothers might be a good match. So it was kind of interesting to hear, regardless of whether you're in prison or whether you're out of prison, siblings don't always get along, you know. And um, even when you're in prison and you might get along for the sake of being in prison and protecting each other, there's that sibling undercurrent that's still there regardless of where you're living. So what I loved about this story is that there's the sibling undercurrent, but there's also, and what I think is so brilliant about this podcast, which we've heard so far, keep in mind I've heard one episode so far, is that there is a subtext of this story, which is that we have brothers who are both incarcerated. The reason they don't know each other well is because they've both been incarcerated. And you can't help as a listener but wonder, you know, kind of like calling back to my earlier thing about the conflict about like why you in there, bro, kind of stuff, is like there's a backstory to the fact that they don't know each other at all and that they are totally incompatible. Like they both admit they love each other. Right. But they cannot be together in that tiny little space. And, And when you hear them talking about the story about like, I am going to smoke this cigarette because we are here. (laughs) Fratricide! (laughs) Yeah, like, Kevin, I would just love to know your thoughts about this, like, story about these two brothers. I mean, what were your takeaways? You know, they did a good job of sort of going back and forth with the tape between what he says and then what he says and both getting sort of their view on on the same incident. I thought the, the brother who smoked... Yeah. He was so great. He had such great personality. (laughs) Yeah, I could listen to him. There are so many, like, very charming people in here in the story that are behind bars. In a way, it reminds me a little bit of of Crime Town, where we had, like, all these criminals that, like, we're supposed to feel like, oh, uh, they're bad and we shouldn't like them. But the difference is these guys are in prison. And the crime town guys are not in prison. Well, some of them did time, but whatever. I mean, yeah. but, but, but in the same sense, you know, it's like in Ear Hustle, they're inviting you into their world. Uh, Scala wanted to know how much you want Bobo to be in the podcast now. I've heard about Bobo. I, I don't know. I hope Bobo comes in. <laughs> I really one do. to ten? Yeah, seven. So, Toby, one of the things that sort of comes up for me again and again on this podcast is we're listening to guys who are in prison. It would be very tempting to make every story they tell about the criminal justice system. I hear a There's cat. There's a cat. That's great. There's a breach. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking to see if it cat was in my Cat of the week. It's hilarious. Which one is it, Toby? You have to tell us. This is Hunter. Oh, boy. He's big and kind Wait, of Wait, you got little... Is that a different cat? Is that always been we've a cat? We've got three cats. Oh, three we got cats Olaf, oh. Littlefoot, and Hunter. Hunter took a look and then walked away in Why disdain. do we call Laura the cat lady when Toby has three? Because <laughs> I'm not a lady. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's the thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Is it interesting to hear stories about prisoners that aren't about the injustice of how they got there, but just about the mundanity of their prisoner lives when there's clearly all this background stuff going on as well? Like, can you separate the two? Uh, yes. I think what's kind of and again, like when we talked about before about, you know, what did the guy do and, and how long is he in there for? I mean, this is about his life. You know, he's not going anywhere. This is his existence, you know. And I think the criminal justice stuff, which I'm sure he's pursuing, but as far as just kind of learning about what his life is like, that's almost like a side thing. I mean, his day-to-day existence is composed of 
this prison and his cell and his his celly. It reminds me a little bit of New Jack by Ted Conover, which I've recommended. Oh, like, you love that book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. So it's it's kind of like the other side of this, where it's it's about a prison guard, nonfiction, and a very good audio book. You know, the, the issues that we talk about about other podcasts about justice and all these different sort of societal issues, they don't have to intrude here unless that's a decision that they decide to make. Right. There's also something about having it being made by an inmate that to me makes it feel less exploitive. You right. know, let it, letting him tell his story, let him make decisions about what's important for people on the outside to know about prison rather than have, you know, somebody outside trying to figure out what's important. So I, I think those two things. Well, one thing that I would do want to ask you, Toby, because this was a criticism of in Serial, and this has been a criticism in some other criminal justice podcasts, is, and I just want to address it up front. I, I imagine that at some point we're going to get a criticism. Someone's going to write a podcast think piece where they talk about the fact that the conduit between these prisoner stories and our ears is this white woman who is helping these inmates tell their stories, right? So I'm wondering if you, it, at this point, having listened to one episode, feel any discomfort that, like, we, as white people in New Hampshire, are being delivered sort of an anthropological look at stories of, by the way, all people of color so far in San Quentin Prison in California do you feel like a cultural rub there? Yes or no at this point? You know, just from this one episode, I, I guess I don't feel it that much because I she didn't seem like she was the driving force behind it. And I also don't know what the complications are as far as, you know, making a podcast in San Quentin and then getting it out onto iTunes and stuff. You know, as long as Erlon's kind of the the driving force behind the subject matter and, and he's one making observations. Uh, I don't think her helping with production and asking questions is necessarily bad, you know, as long as that, that's sort of the way that the dynamic remains. I think one of the things we have to talk about and think about is the price of access mm -hmm. because it, the real gatekeeper here on these stories is not the co-host it's the public information officer who's in the podcast who's in the podcast I like that. it's obviously a very cooperative Which is situation but transparency of that is amazing yeah, yeah absolutely but if people are sitting around waiting for the episode where they talk about how they smuggle drugs into the prison or about how to make a shank I, I would be very surprised if that would ever come out right because like you said I prove this story. Now, this doesn't mean that it's everything's going to be like butterflies and unicorns right. at San Quentin, but more so than the narrative being shaped by the racial makeup of the two hosts. It really is. This is a this podcast exists at the pleasure of the correction state of California. Yes, I am fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with whatever stories they tell. That is the price of that. As long as the audience understands it. And I think they're and being completely transparent do. about it. Now, Laura, you said you also love the public information officer being just like a background character here, right? I know how he approves this message. It's like a political <laughs> advertisement or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, when you guys were talking, I, one of the things I was thinking as I was listening to this first episode was, boy, it seems like my mind always goes to the worst possible things. So as they start talking about sellies, I'm immediately thinking like, oh, my gosh. 
who's going to be somebody's bitch. And that's what I'm thinking. Like, is that going to be part well, of the story? Because that's the media around prison stories, right? It, you know, and I was like, but then it wasn't. And, and I'm like, huh, okay, maybe it's not going there. I think all of this comes back to, I really hope that they do something in a future episode to tell us more about this media lab, because that's what sort of struck me. Like, there's a prison with a media lab. I mean, we just make license plates and like things out of wood. Like, I want to know what is this media lab and, you know, what's going on there? Because that to me is really interesting. Are they dedicated to the rehabilitation of an offender and not just the incarceration? Because the great majority, 90 plus percent of those people who are incarcerated there will rejoin us in the free world. Well, here's what I learned just about San Quentin in general. San Quentin is not maximum security, which, by the way, San Quentin is such a brand, I would not have thought that. San Quentin has a media lab. Again, like Laura mentioned, I would not have thought that. San Quentin uh, still houses people by race. So if you're Native American, you're going to be a solo. If you're white, you're going to be with another white guy. And if you are single and black, you're going to be roomed with someone who either was just admitted or you have to court somebody and like convince them to be your your cellmate. One of the things I thought was interesting about this episode was that Erlon becomes the subject of an interview. I feel like this episode was framed around that. He was going through this experience. So they framed the episode around the fact that he was suddenly single mm-hmm. and they had this interview with his outgoing Sully and then he had this temporary Sully and he was sort of in this like existential space where he realized like my life could suck or it could be awesome if I have the right person. And to illustrate that, they bring in these two Sellies who were so compatible that they brought them in and they sounded like what? Like a comedy team? They were like incredible. Yeah, they sound like best friends joking about, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it just kind of made me think, like, Erlon's biggest fear, as she's interviewing him, it comes out, is like, I just don't want to be with someone who talks all the time. (laughs) So, Toby, if if you were, like, not in charge of this, and you were just going to be assigned a celly, like, what's your worst fear? Like, what's the worst case scenario for you? Yeah, I don't know, like a country music fan with a radio? <laughs> what about and no you? headphones. What about you, Laura? Do you have like a worst case scenario where it'd be assigned to be your celly? Well, this reminds me of freshman year in college when I was assigned a roommate I didn't know and they didn't shower or use deodorant. Oh, oh. you were in exactly the brother situation. Was your, yes. Was your roommate a conspiracy theorist who believed that the deodorant had caused them to have dementia and all sorts of other problems? No, she was kind of like a tomboy who didn't seem to care. So I had very many little like room freshener things that I would put around kind of secretly. But um, So that I think I have issues with smell. I have a very sensitive nose. So personal hygiene would be my nightmare. So I listened to this episode four times. The third time I listened to it was with my 15 and a half year old son and we're driving uh-huh. around in his car. And you know what his observation about this podcast was? That we have heard so many podcasts about convicts and wrongful convictions, and justice. This is the show that will make people see incarcerated men as human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I agree. And that was his point. And he said that during this part of the podcast when, when Erlon was like, oh, don't compare it to dating. It's like weird summer camp. <laughs> It's like summer camp that you can't, or college. Band camp. Yeah, band camp. One time at band camp. <laughs> Maybe that will happen next week. So, Kevin, well, what would be your requirements about a celly? Like, like, do you have requirements that you've like, said after listening to this episode? No, I think I just, uh, someone who uh, will uh, 
take the top bunk. <laughs> I want the lower bunk. Why? Just, you know, I just try to, All your you know, surgeries? as I'm getting older, yeah. you, you know, like if I'm in there for life, I don't want to be like 65 and like trying to make the top bunk. What, what was the story with that guy who couldn't go up on the top bunk? All right. So what happens so, at the end of the episode is that Erlon is told that Ron, who was in the cold open, who is Native American, is now a single. So the reason why he's a single is two-parter. One is because people in San Quentin are putting cells together by race. But that also because he had a recent series of surgeries which precludes him from climbing onto the top bunk. And then Erlon says, I don't want to climb onto the top bunk. Why can't I be a single? But then he has like a desk and like a yoga mat up there. <laughs> so, so, so I'm like, well... Like, what the hell? Right. It sounds like you get up to the top bunk all the time. You just don't want to sleep up there. <laughs> it's like one of those tiny houses on HGTV. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Let's just go around the horn. It's time for the review part of this podcast. Toby Ball, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Do you recommend our listeners subscribe and listen to Ear Hustle? I'm giving it a thumbs up. And this is one of those ones that even though we've already reviewed it, I will continue listening to. All right. What about you, Laura Bricker? I'm going to say the same. Thumbs up. Um, like I said, I like the fact that we're humanizing people um, that are incarcerated in a way that we haven't necessarily done before. Um, it's a way that I, you know, in my background work in defense, uh, you know, I felt a lot of sympathy and affection sometimes for people because I, I, I came to know them as more than what they were in jail for. So I, I think that this is a podcast that is really going to change people's perceptions. I agree. I am also... Double thumbs up. I'm just going to like just go straight up. I mean, the next episode could be horrible. Who knows? It doesn't matter. The first episode was so good. If our listeners have not yet listened to it, they should immediately. It's only 23 minutes long. It is basically it's this American life, but through the lens of incarcerated men, it is beautifully done. It sounds fantastic. Even the music is great. The little beats they do in it are great. I can't say enough good things about it. I listened to it four times. You'll want to listen to it four times, too. It is funny. It makes you feel good in a way a podcast about inmates should not. I give it an enthusiastic thumbs up for Air Hustle. What about you, Kevin? I'm sorry. How do you feel about it? Enthusiastically oh, okay. thumbs up. I'm so you weren't clear. I'm so excited all about right. this. This, by the way, and can I just get all of your affirmation on this? It's the first time I've emailed you all and been like, I can't wait to talk about this thing that we're talking about this week. Yeah, In a long true. time. Yeah, yeah. It's rare because our job is to like review things, right? It is. Mm -hmm. I actually could not wait to talk about this. I'm so excited about it. I know. You can't stop talking about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kevin? Where are you? You're not as enthusiastic as me. I'm, I'm, no, hey, I'm, just, I'm just saying, let's, let's not start engraving the Peabody Award <laughs> just yet. The sample size is very it's small. It's one episode. You're right. Listen to one episode. You're right, you're right. I like it. It's one of the few podcasts that I will subscribe and I will listen to more and more of. And I've got kind of high hopes. I'm really looking forward to see like what other different angles can we talk about, right? It's it's already you already touched on like some of the stuff about okay, what's the race issue in the prison? Are we going to hear from the public information officer oh, I love that and guy. talking with the guards? Are we going to find out about prison tats? Like who does those? Like because there's always like a great story behind any tattoo, right? So, right. like, this would be really interesting. Like, I know there's these two guys, Randy and Dave, and they're working together, and they sort of had, like, a like a bet going back and forth about a tattoo. See, they uh, sell Bombas socks, oh, and God. for every pair of Bombas oh, socks that gets sold, they donate a pair 
to those in need. So Randy promised if they were able to donate a million pairs of socks, he'd get the Bombas logo tattoo. And he thought it was going to take about 10 years to get this tattoo. It only took two and a half years. And now Dave has the Bombas tattoo and a great story to tell about it. Time out. Did you just tie a prison tattoo story to our advertiser just now? Absolutely. Congratulations. And by the way, I do love me some Bomba socks. I do too. There's, I do too. There, there's no <laughs> annoying toe seam, no falling down, and they've got the added arch support. They're my favorite sneaker socks, hands down. Absolutely. And I always look athletic feet wise. Wait, you're saying you look athletic from the ankles down? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> ankles up, it's a disaster. It's a total disaster. But ankles down, it's a bombus as f. I'm going to beep that out. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so for the best socks in the history of feet, visit bombus.com slash crime today, and you'll get an additional 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime for 20% off. Bombus.com slash crime. crime. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. Last week, a Florida man wanted to go to Hooters. So badly that authorities say he told 911 dispatchers he needed a ride to the restaurant because his grandmother had just suffered a stroke in the parking lot. Instead, 28-year-old Justin Hinkle got a ride to county jail after deputies searched for three hours for his poor, stroke-besotten grandmother. But when they finally found her at another location, she said she hadn't had a stroke nor had asked anyone for help. News outlets say Hinkle told the dispatcher he'd pay responders to take him to the Hooters on Florida's Atlantic coast. Hinkle was arrested on charges of misusing 911. He was released on bond and records don't list an attorney for him at present. So he called 911 to get a ride to Hooters. Pretty much. So okay. here's my question. Laura Bricker, what restaurant or bar would you be so desperate to get to that you would make a fake 911 call to get there. I have to say, nothing comes to mind. So you know what? I think I'm going to have to go check out that Hooters on Route 1 just over the border in Mass because I have never been to a Hooters. So there must be something about the place. That there are two things about you... the place. Yes. I guess I'm going to have to go check out a Hooters in the near future. All right. Toby Ball, what restaurant or bar would you be so desperate to get to that you would make a fake 911 call to get there? You know where they had that biker shootout in Waco? Oh, God. That was like a, a Hooters knockoff that Just thought one of Hooters many, many was too... Just one of many things that have happened in Waco. ...was too tasteful. Yes. You know? Um, <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying I would dial 911 and get them to drive me to Texas, but that's the best answer I got. What about you, Kevin? What restaurant or bar would you be so desperate to go to that you would call 911? All right, well, if I had a reservation in this city and I thought I was going to miss it and I thought it was the only way I could I could get there is if the police would help me, it would be that sushi restaurant in the train station where oh. the, the guy named Hero yes. makes the sushi. That was a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. Hero Dreams of Sushi yes. is the name of the documentary and it's a very famous place and you, it's very much like No Soup for You. If you know, it, it takes months and months to get there. It looks great. It's extraordinary. I don't know what I would say. Maybe I would like phone in a Godzilla attack, <laughs> and everybody would rush one way, and then I could get into because the... because there are no other reasons to call nine one in Japan other than a Godzilla attack. Is that what you're saying? It's the only thing that comes to mind. <laughs> all right, all right. We don't have many listeners in Japan, so I'm sure we'll get no complaints about that. Laura Brigger, before we close out this podcast, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> 
We actually have a dog of the week this week in <gasps> My honor of animal. Yes, in honor of Kevin. Because the dog's name is Kevin Aww. as well. Yes, I saw that dog. I don't hear talking about Yes. He was rescued. He was, and you should see the sad little thing. He's got like all these awful mats on his body. They had to basically shave him down, and then he was like half the weight that he started off. Um, He was found on the street in Hillsborough, Texas by a cop also named Kevin. And this woman, Angela Buster, is fostering him now, and he looks very cute and less matted. Well, let's just say that anybody who like takes in a foster dog, rescues a dog, Good for them, because God knows I got both of my dogs from breeders, and I kind of feel guilty about it all the time. And I just love me some rescue dogs. I really do. Well, and I have to say, he beat out my my own dog was potentially in the running this week because, <laughs> according to our one of our listeners, who is a criminologist, Buddy is now classified as a mass murderer because he killed three woodchucks in less than twenty four hours. We'll wow. talk about that next week. Your dog, <laughs> your dog, Buddy. I'm not kidding. I'm a little worried he's going to murder you in the night. So, Lara. <laughs> Bricker, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter and submit their pets for cat slash dog of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to reach out to you and perhaps suggest more karaoke duets that you should be performing with Laura Bricker on this podcast, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin, if our listeners want to interact with you online especially on Twitter, how can they find you? That would be at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, I am at Reb Lavoie. You can tweet to this podcast at Crime Writers On. I promise we'll tweet you back. You can also visit our website to sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link at CrimeWritersOn.com. Who knows, maybe Toby will read one of your items. Don't forget to call our podcast hotline with your feedback and questions. The phone number to leave a message is hilarious. It is seven bleed bag one. <laughs> if you listen to our show on iTunes, take two seconds to rate and review and check out our other shows. These are their stories, the Law and Order podcast, and Toby's show with the fabulous Meg Heckman. It's called Radio Free Dystopia. You can also do me a solid and subscribe to my upcoming podcast, HGTV and Me. Our roguishly handsome line producer is Henry Lavoy. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. And this show was recorded in Square Egg Studio. It's a lot smaller than a cell in San Quentin, but it matters just as much whether or not you took a shower and put on deodorant <laughs> before you came in here, Kevin Flynn. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. Fratricide. We will catch you later. So when your grays are starting to come out, like right on your hairline and it's like you can't stand it and you're going to crash your car because you're looking in the mirror all the time. It was a little bit of a meltdown, I'll be honest. My car hair episodes are not about the hair in my head. It's about when I look in the rearview mirror and I see a giant chin hair sticking out. Yes. What? Does that ever happen I have one that comes, it comes in the same spot every time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now it's gray. Yeah. Like an old lady or and, something. And you can't, and you're just driving along like trying to pull out the chin hair. Does that no, ever happen it to you? it won't come out. It does. But I have to get like the tweezers because exactly. it just will not come out. And it's like industrial hair. I don't know what was wrong. It's ridiculous. So my so. friend Holly right, what, keeps a what? pair of tweezers in her glove compartment <laughs> for exactly that situation. Where am I? Why the I, fuck are we talking about this? Yeah. Okay. You guys ready? I'm like questioning uh, all my I, life I was, choices. You're, you're right like, I was ready until about two minutes ago. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks to MHZ Choice for sponsoring today's podcast. MHZ Choice features European mysteries, dramas, and comedies streamed right to your computer, TV, or favorite device. Try MHZ Choice free for 30 days, and after that, you'll save 50% off your first month. Visit mhzchoice.com slash writers and use the code writers at checkout. That was really good. Partners in Crime Media. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.